4, verses 8 through 31. And as we read, remember, we're reading God's word. Apostle Paul writes, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am greatly perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the, slave, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That's God's word. You can be seated. We've been in this series uh, now for uh, a couple months, I think, on fighting for grace, the study of Galatians. Uh, We've said that uh, the, 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 the... Understanding grace is a fight. It's, it's difficult because grace is counterintuitive and, and kind of goes against the way we normally think. We normally think what goes around comes around. Uh, you reap what you sow. Uh, you, you get what you deserve. Grace comes in and says, no, you get what Jesus deserved. Right? The, the truth is that we are sinners. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And therefore, we are under, justly, the condemnation of God apart from Jesus. The only thing we deserve is wrath and punishment and separation and isolation and pain. That's what we deserve. And and Jesus comes and he lives and dies and is raised again in our place so that we could get grace. So that we get what he deserved and he on the cross gets what we deserved. He dies in our 
place. That's what grace is. And Paul has been on this fight to help us understand it. And not just because um, it'll make you happier, though it will. Uh, Not just because it will make you more joyful, though it will. But because there's a lot at stake and you can feel that even in this passage today, that Paul is, he, he, he's in anguish, he's, he's disturbed, he's beside himself, he so desperately wants them to get it, and he just doesn't see it happening. You ever feel like that? You know, where you, you feel like you care more about somebody in a particular instance than they do for themselves? And it's like... I just, if I could just come up with the words, if I could, you know, I, we've had this conversation before, but if I could just, ah, right? Here's the reality. You can't care about someone's change more than they do. You can't. I mean, you can, but they won't change, right? And so Paul, is, he's in that. And, he, and so he takes actually a bit, of a, a bit of a turn in this passage. Up to this point, it's been very aggressive language, very combative language. He said in chapter 1, I'm, uh, I'm astonished that you're walking away from Jesus. He says in chapter 3, you foolish Galatians. Somebody put a hex on you? right? And, and, and here his tone, you can just see he's going, okay, I've tried the, I've tried the bad cop route. I'm thinking the good cop, but I, I just, I love you guys. Come on. I, I want you to get this. This is so key. That's kind of the, the heart and the attitude that he takes. And so, so this is an interesting and, and a different passage than the ones that we've looked at up to this point. Uh, the, the, it's, it's the end of his real theological and dense uh, argument where what he's been doing is at the end of chapter 2, he introduced this idea of justification by faith. Uh, justification means you can be counted righteous, declared righteous by God, accepted by God, by faith. Not by works. Not by being a good person. Uh, not by doing good deeds. Not by attending church or giving lots of money. N- none of that matters. In, in this case, not circumcision or obeying the Ten Commandments or keeping kosher. None of that. It's, it's, you can be made right with God by faith. It was the Judaizers, these false teachers from Jerusalem that had come and were starting to do the Jesus plus thing. Jesus plus your works. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus kosher. Jesus plus the law. And so Paul in this section has been saying, no, no, no. It's justification by faith alone. And so in chapters 3 and 4, he's, he's making this argument that, that this is how it's always been. The Judaizers are saying, well, we want to be sons of Abraham. And Abraham got circumcised. So that's just, and, and, and Paul's going, no, 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 you don't, you're misreading it. You don't understand it. So it's been this very dense theological thing. Last week, at the beginning of chapter 4, we looked at this idea that there's something even better than justification. Than being made right with God. Something even better than that, which is being a child of God, being adopted into his family. And so Paul has been laying out this glorious truth, justification by faith alone, being made right with God, having Jesus take the curse that you deserve. You can be adopted by him, and yet he still knows, like, they're not getting it. And so so what he does here is, is this first part of this passage we're looking at is him just sharing his heart with them, kind of expressing the angst he feels over this. And then the last part is him making one last illustration to really drive home the point of what this is. Um, so here's what I want to do. I, 
you know, I studied and prepared a sermon, and I didn't like it at 8.30. So I'm chucking that one. And we're going with the ghost here at 10.30. So the only reason I tell you that, oh, I guess I, maybe I should do that every week. I'd have more time. Uh, the reason I tell you that is because when you get into your communities this week and, you know, you realize that this wasn't the same message, that way you'll at least know why. So this one might be worse than 8.30, so check the podcast if you can find it, and, uh, and uh, we'll see what ends up there. So here's what I want to do. I want to just kind of walk through this passage. Uh, kind of, maybe not exactly verse by verse, but somewhere along those lines. Make sure we just really understand that. And then at the end, um, I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about prison, about choosing, and about power. And all that will just come right out of this, this passage. But I just want to kind of walk through it, um, and as best I can, just make sure that we kind of understand uh, the argument, what Paul is saying. Um, I may incorporate a couple of the quotes from before. Who knows where we're going? So pray for me. Uh, let's actually do that. That's not a bad idea. Lord, um, as much as we're kind of kidding around here, uh, we're not. Uh, we, we need your help. Um, Lord, you've allowed me to see and to study and to meditate on lots of different things, and I, I want them to come out clearly in a way that represents you well. And I pray for everyone uh, hearing today that we could hear with faith and, um, and have ears to receive what you would want to say to us. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, Paul begins this personal section that's really 8 through 20. He begins it in, in verse 8, and he says this, uh, Formerly... When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. That is not a happy camper over there. Sorry, bud, or honey, or whatever you are. Um, Verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Uh, Paul is uh, using this argument that he's been using quite a bit throughout this book, the issue of slavery versus freedom. Uh, we'll really, this will culminate in chapter 5 next week when Paul will say it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And all throughout this book he's been talking about being delivered and being rescued and being pulled out of slavery. And what he's saying is, why do you want to go back to that? These things are weak. These things are worthless. These things are powerless. In verse 8, he says, they're things that are not God's. In verse 9, he calls them the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Now, it's fascinating, this phrase, because elementary principles of the world um, is a phrase that isn't a particularly, it's not really referring to the Jewish law. It's referring more to paganism. Now, the reason that's fascinating is because the whole point up to this book, he's been, in this book, he's been saying, you are going back to the law. You're going back to Jewish law. And now he says, you're tempted to go back to paganism. Well, well which is it? Is it going back to the law or going back to paganism? And in fact, this phrase, elementary principles of the world, is sometimes translated elemental spirits of the world. It has with it this connotation that behind this is, is demonic activity, that there are powers and principalities of spiritual darkness that are, that are part of this whole thing. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that whether you're talking paganism 
or biblical legalism, they're functionally the same thing. They're functionally basing your identity and your life on something that's not true, on something that is no God. He says, verse 9, something that's weak and worthless. Kathy Keller, uh, Tim Keller's uh, wife, I quote him a lot, now I'm quoting her. Uh, She, if they have children, I'll quote them someday too. Uh, but, But she says, listen, everybody's a fundamentalist. The question is just what fundamental. Everybody has something they're basing their life on. Uh, for the religious legalist, it's I gotta obey, I gotta do the right things, I gotta give this much money, I gotta serve in this capacity, I gotta read my Bible, I gotta blah, 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 whatever the list is. That if I do that, then I know I'm something. For the pagan in our day, it's if I can get that promotion, if I can make that money, if I can have kids that are great athletes, if I can, whatever that is, then I'll know I'm somebody. Saying, in either case, you're a slave. In either case, you're living for something that's weak and worthless and and by nature not God. And he's saying, why would you go back to that? If you go back to that, he says, verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I've been teaching you this. I've I've instructed you this. In chapter 3, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Why would you go back to that? Don't do that. He says, verse, uh, verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are, and you did me no wrong. He begins to talk about his past with them, his history with them. He, he's going, and, and one of the things that's going on in the background here, just, just to understand this, is in the background there's these false teachers from Jerusalem that not only have been teaching this Jesus plus legalistic thing, they've also been discrediting Paul. They've been slandering him. They've been saying, you know, Paul's not that impressive. Paul, you know, right? I mean, anytime you want to advance your agenda, one of the best things to do is discredit whoever, right, is on the other side. And so Paul is going to them going, guys, you're embracing not only this terrible truth about God, but about me. What do you, do you remember, don't you remember our past? Like, you ever have somebody accuse you of something and you go, you seriously even entertained that? You know me better than that. Really? Like you even gave that a second thought? What? That's what he's saying. He's saying, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was, verse 13, because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as as Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, it wasn't on my strategic plan to go to Galatia. It wasn't part of the agenda, but I came down with this bodily ailment, this problem, this difficulty, and and it, it was painful for you. Painful for you to watch, painful for you to care for me. But you did that. He says, you did it. You received me as though I were an angel of God or Christ Jesus himself. You received me that well. He says, verse 15, what then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. This has led a lot of commentators to speculate that that one of Paul's physical ailments that he's talking about here, perhaps even the thorn in the flesh that he refers to in 2 Corinthians, no one knows what that is exactly, but it's led them to speculate it was a thing with his eyes. 
People said when, when he was blinded on the road to Damascus, there were, it was said that scales fell from his eyes. That kind of, so perhaps he had this eye problem. He's saying, you loved me so much, you would have given me your own eyes to help me. What, what, what became of that? What happened? Like now you're, now you're turning on me? He says, verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Boy, that's a good question, isn't it? Here's what I've learned about the truth. We all want people to tell us the truth. Just give it to me straight. Just tell it to me. Until they do. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't want that. Well, you, you, know, you asked for it. And so what happens is, um, and there's a Clay Johnson quote here. I don't remember exactly what it is. Thomas has it there. Um, in his book, The Information Diet, this guy, this author, who's not, uh, as far as I know, a follower of Jesus, says... We live in an age where people don't want to hear the truth, only affirmation. That's, that is true. And, and especially in social media and, and the other kinds of media that exist, you now have the ability to only listen to people that affirm what you already believe. In fact, he says, you want proof of this? Fox News. There's people that they don't really want the truth. They ain't fair and balanced. People that affirm what they believe. And they, you know, they're reacting to, to the other part that's also not fair and balanced. Right? And so, so it's not to pick on Fox News or pick on conservatives. It's just to go, everybody's doing this. We just want affirmation. Paul's saying, I'm telling you the truth. I love you. I care for you. You're rejecting me because, because of that. I care for you so much that I'm going to tell you that if you embrace these Judaizers, you are going to make a wreck of your life. You do not want to go down that road. Clay Johnson's just affirming what it says in Proverbs 27 when it says that uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If, if you're not willing to be wounded, if you don't have friends in your life that can occasionally wound you, you don't have good friends. If you're not occasionally willing out of love to, to wound somebody, to go, that's a blind spot. That's a, I think you're going to hurt yourself. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. If you're not willing to say that, you're not, you're not a good friend. Paul's saying, I'm trying to be a good friend of you. In contrast, verse 17, these false teachers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose, right? So they're, they're you know, blowing hot air. Man, you're great. You guys, you know, you can do it. You can, you can keep the laws. I mean, God, this is what God wants you to do, right? They're making a big deal out of you. He says, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that, they, that you make, may, may make much of them. They're just in it to sort of have you be dependent on them because they're the dispensers of truth and, and they're really impressive because they're so good at keeping these laws. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I'm present with you. And then what's interesting, he like interrupts himself. Right? This is where you get the like, you know when you're in that spot and you're trying to tell someone really imp- something really important, you're like, ah, I just don't know. And you just interrupt yourself? This is what he does. And so verse 19 is like this interruption. He says, my little children. Right? Remember in chapter 3 he said, you foolish Galatians. <laughs> right? The, he's softening a bit here. My little children, for whom I am in anguish, or again, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's saying, you know what I want more than anything? I want Christ to be formed in you. 
That's my goal. That's my hope. That's my purpose. I'm not looking for applause. I'm not, Paul's saying, I'm not looking for attention. I'm not looking to be made much of. I'm looking for you to be formed into Christ. And this affirms what Paul writes elsewhere, that those uh, who God, that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God's after. And, and, and this is a painful thing. He says, I'm in the anguish of childbirth. He, 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 now, I get rebuked whenever I talk about how painful childbirth is. <laughs> you know, you don't know. Yeah, thank God. I don't know. Um, I'm told it's, would anguish be an appropriate word? Yeah. And, uh, and if someone doesn't have that, it's rare, right? It's like, whoa, they got lucky. So, so here's, here's one of the things I just, this is encouraging to me. Because for me, listen, what I, what I want, what our pastors and elders and leaders want, what your, what your redemption community leader wants, students for your, your mentor, you know what they want for you? They want Christ formed in you. This is not about how many people can sit and hear anyone talk or play music. Or, we want Christ formed in you. And it's hard. It's, it's like childbirth. It's like labor. It's difficult. And so we should expect that. If you're a leader and you're, you're investing in someone's life and, and you just feel like, gosh, I feel like I want their change more than they do and this is difficult. Yeah, that's how Paul felt. Be encouraged. It's hard. It's disillusioning at times. You don't know what to do. But the goal is Christ formed in you. That's, what, that's what everything that Paul's writing about. So if you, if you miss what Paul is saying in the substance of his argument, what you will miss is Jesus being formed in you. You could look religious. You could look churchy. You could fit into the Christian subculture and not have Christ formed in you. That's what Paul wants. It says, verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Right, he's going, this email thread doesn't seem to be connecting. You ever have that? I guess we need to just sit down face to face and talk. He's going, I wish I, I, wish I could. He felt the same thing. Just took longer for that letter to travel. And he goes back to his argument. And this is the argument that he begins in verse 21. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? You want to be under the law? He's made this point a bunch of times. Like, you want to be under the law, you got to complete the whole thing. You still want it? And now he's going, do you, do you not even learn from what the law tells us and what the scripture says? And, and, and I don't know if you recall this, for those of you that, that are familiar with the Bible story, but... But there's this place in, in the end of the book of Luke where Jesus is walking with these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he's showing them how all the things in the Old Testament were pointing to him. He's, there's another place where Jesus is rebuking Pharisees. He says, you study the scriptures because you think in them you'll have life. And what you miss is that they're pointing to me. That's what Paul's saying. Don't you listen to the law? And here he's just going to give an illustration. He's just going to give an example. He's going to go, here, here's what this scenario that we're in, this is kind of what it's like. 
says verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Now here's why this is important is because remember these Judaizers have up to this point they've been saying uh, circumcision makes you a son of Abraham. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant. This is how you know if you were if you were a Jew, if you were part of the people of Abraham, circumcision, that's the sign. And so these guys would come to the Galatians and say, yeah, yeah, you got Jesus, but don't you want to be a son of Abraham too? Don't you, don't you want to be a son of Abraham? Accept this sign of circumcision. And Paul brilliantly here, this is brilliant, he says in verse 22, yeah, you want to be sons of Abraham, but remember, he had two sons. <laughs> so, which are the Judaizer, which of the sons are the Judaizers really like? And he goes into this, he goes into this story. Uh, keep your finger there if you can, uh, and go to Genesis um, 16. That's page, uh, well, it's towards the front. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Uh, Genesis 16 gives us the story of, uh, of Sarah and Hagar and Abraham. Um, some background here. Abraham had been promised in Genesis uh, 12 that he would become the father of many nations. Uh, he, that, that promise was again ratified in Genesis 15. Many years had passed and said, you will be the father of many nations. In chapter 15, which Paul quoted earlier in Galatians, in verse 6, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham was justified by faith. That's how it's always been. He'd received this promise. And the reason this was a significant promise was because Abraham was old and his wife was old. They were very old and they had not had children. Now in that, in that society especially, in order to have any standing in the community, especially as a woman, you needed to have children. And Sarah, at this point, uh, she's going by the name Sarai, it doesn't have children. So they've heard this promise. They've seen God uh, give this promise again, right? So this is, this is something he's doing over and over, and it's not happening. So they go, well, we know this is God's will, but rather than wait for him to do it as only he can, we will take this matter into our own hands. We will solve it. And so it says in, in Genesis 16, now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant, uh, an Egyptian slave. By the way, just so you know, slavery uh, in the Bible is very different than slavery in America. Uh, slavery in America was kidnapping, oftentimes, which the Bible explicitly outlawed. Um, oftentimes in, in the Bible, slaves tended to have more rights, tended to have a little bit more of a status. Not always, but often. Um, she was uh, probably um, almost like an employee of the household kind of thing. But, but this, this phrase, slave and servant, there is a level of bondage that happens here. Verse 2, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. 
Hagar was young. Hagar was vibrant. Hagar was fertile. And when she saw that she had conceived, that's speaking of Sarah, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Right? There's places in the Bible where you see polygamy. It never goes well. Right? The Bible is not for that. It's a bad idea. And so what happens here is, is they take matters into their own hands. They, they're going to do it not by trusting in the promise of God, but by walking in the flesh, walking in their own strength. They're going to take care of this problem. Creates a huge division, creates a huge wedge. We actually see the result of this is, is Hagar has a son named Ishmael. Uh, when eventually Sarah does get pregnant and have a, a son named Isaac by the promise, this, this, this little battle that's begun here it comes to a head, and eventually Hagar and Ishmael are cast out of the family. They're sent away. They're not the children of the promise. They're Children of the flesh, a son according to the flesh, it says in Galatians 4. So Abram, this man of great faith, is also this man of tremendous stupidity and sin. Do I hear an amen? Be like Abraham, only in chapter 15 when he's asleep. Right? That's why, that's why moralistically, you know, teaching the Bible, be like these people, all these people are screwed up. The only person that's not screwed up is Jesus. Trust him. And so, and, and so this is what happens. We actually see the fruit of this today, right? The descendants of Ishmael end up being the Canaanites who are constantly battling with the Jews and the Israelites. The, the descendants of Ishmael are the modern-day Palestinians. The descendants of Isaac are the modern-day Jews. How's that going? Right, so this, this is battle royale, and it's, and it's all over the place. Genesis 21 uh, is where Isaac is born. So you get this contrast, and Paul's just using it as an example. He's saying, you want to be sons of Abraham, <laughs> which son do you want to be? Because, because if you're going to take this Jesus plus, if you're going to take, i got to obey the law in order to be made right with God, you're, you're, you're a slave. You're not a child accepted by faith. And so he, he goes into this, verse 23, back to Galatians 4, verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Interesting, he references Sinai. That's where the law came to the people of Israel. These people are trusting in the law. They're trusting in that. And, and he's saying, listen, that, that's, that's where Hagar went. She's about slavery. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So this, there's this contrast. He's saying, uh, Hagar... And these false teachers are like Jerusalem is now. Bound up in all this legalism. Bound up in all this, if I obey, then God will accept me. He says that, that's, that's slavery. Now that's interesting because these false teachers, where do they come from? Jerusalem. You want to go back to Jerusalem? You're going back to slavery. 
It says, but the Jerusalem above, the, the new Jerusalem that will come, when, when, when the Lord returns and, and all things are made new, that will be with people who have trusted by faith in Christ. He says, that new Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. See, people who embrace Jesus by faith, they admit that they don't have the ability to please God on their own. Here's what they admit. They admit that they're barren. They admit that they're desolate. See, people that want to keep the law, people that want to be moralistic, people that want to be legalistic, they're prideful enough to think they can be. But when you humble yourself and realize, I can't produce children on my own, so to speak. Right? Remember, this idea of children, this is the whole identity. This is, if you can't do this, you're nothing. Right? People of the promise admit that they're nothing. And the result of that is even greater blessing. That's the whole point of verse 27. Uh, Paul's quoting Isaiah 54 here. He says, rejoice, barren one. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. He's saying, rejoice, hopeless person. Right? We said a few weeks ago, cheer up, you're worse than you think. (laughs) Cry aloud. You can't fulfill the promises of God. You can't obey the law of God. Cheer up. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Jesus said, those who have no need of a doctor, those, those who don't think they're sick, don't go to the doctor. I came for the sick. I came for the desolate. He says, verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is now. And that's exactly what's happening. He's saying, it's not surprising that these Judaizers are coming after me. That's how it's always been. People who are reliant on themselves, people who are proud, always go after the people that say, no, no, it's just by grace. Humble yourself. They don't like that. That angers them. They come after them. Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. This is serious. Paul's saying, if you embrace the law to be right with God, if you you do this, you're enslaving yourself. You're not living as a child of God. You're living as a slave to a law that you can't keep. And just so you know, the slave woman in this story is cast out. And if you take that yoke of, of law-keeping, and, and I can do it, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm good enough, and, and I don't need this Christianity stuff, you, you take that, there's consequences for it. You're, you're cast out. See, the thing, the only thing that might be more shocking than grace is how few people are willing to receive it. 
Because it means you have to come to the end of yourself. You have to say, I'm desolate. You have to say, I'm hopeless. There's too much pride to do that. So people live as slaves. Paul reminds them of their identity. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is who you are. Chapter 3, verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You are. You are. This is who you are. He's going to launch in chapter 5 into the freedom that they have and how to, how to live in that freedom. So that's, that's what it, this is where he's going. This is the story. So I want to finish with, with three things. And the first one is uh, prison or slavery. Uh, there's a, a new pastor, I don't know if I've told all of you this, but there's a new pastor at uh, our Redemption Arcadia congregation. His name is Frank Switzer. Um, he's, a, he's a really neat guy, um, very well-educated, more well-educated than anyone else on our leadership, just about. He's 51, uh, grew up right in that community, really, really interesting guy, and he does uh, some prison ministry. Uh, by the way, uh, a thing went out on the city uh, this week of some guys that are doing pr- prison ministry in our church. If that's something that interests you, uh, you should check that out. But he had a, a quote from one of the guys that he ministers to. He shared this with us at the Preaching Collective. Um, he's, th- th- this, this prisoner told him, everyone is in prison. Mine just has bars and barbed wire fences. And this is what Paul's saying. Whether it's legalism or paganism, whether it's religion or irreligion, you're a slave to weak and worthless things. I'm inviting you to freedom. I'm inviting you to sonship. I'm inviting you to adoption. Get, get rid of the slavery. Right? P- people, who are, people who are legalists in this way. Like, like what Paul is attacking, and just, just in our day, that there's at least four things about them that I jotted down as I was in between services deconstructing my old message. Um, one is uh, duty. They're in prison to duty. I do the right thing because I have to. I do the right thing out of fear. Do the right thing out of guilt. This is what's so frustrating, honestly, about um, the sort of uh, like oldest generation of people that are still alive. There's so much good about that generation that we totally need. But one of the frustrating things is they were so moral that it's very hard to distinguish between just being American and moral in a World War II generation and being born again. There's a lot of this duty, right? And, and many Christians fall into this duty versus delight, versus I obey because I, I want to. A great hymn by William Cowper says, To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. How do you know if you're a slave or a child? How do you know if you're imprisoned in legalism? You only obey because you have to, not because you want to. Second form of slavery that I think would relate to us as a result of this kind of legalism is people-pleasing. I got to put on a good show. 
I got to care what people think. I walked in the room and assume everyone's looking at me. Everyone's thinking about me. Everyone's talking about me. No, we're not. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> the only people that care are the other people stuck in that people-pleasing prison. <laughs> and, they, and they do care. And so you all navel-gaze at each other. <laughs> and I say you. We, we all do this, right? When I'm living as a... As a when I'm not embracing who I am in Christ, I'm living as a people pleaser. Rather than going, I'm adopted by God. His opinion is the only one that counts. He's already declared that I have Jesus, therefore I have enough. I don't need to care. And yet the prison of people pleasing is like living in a hall of mirrors. Right? To one person you're short and fat and the other person you're tall and skinny and you don't even know who you are. You're not grounded in Christ and who he says you are. You are not the child of a slave, but the child of the free woman. Embrace that. Second, or the third form of slavery is, is hiding. This relates to that one. It relates to, to duty and people pleasing, really. Out of, out of duty to appear a certain way, I don't ever let anyone see who I really am. I'm just a fake, a phony. I spend the majority of my time trying to make sure I'm covering my tracks. My lies don't catch up with me somehow. I'm appearing to be something that I'm not. You ever, you ever go, man, I see those people and they have such good friendships and I, just, I always just feel on the outside of that. You know what it could be? It could be that you're a total fake. You, no one, you never let anyone get to know who you really are. And you would only do that because you're in, imprisoned to what people think and who you think you should be rather than admitting you're a mess. Rather than admitting, I'm desolate, I'm barren, I'm hopeless without Jesus. So that goes to that last one is people enslaved can't admit their faults. Repentance is almost impossible it's only considered a last resort. And the reason for that is because in order to repent, I have to admit that I messed up. My whole identity, if I'm in, in this position of being enslaved to legalism and performance, my whole identity is based on keeping up appearances that I'm good. And so repentance is traumatic I have, to, I have to admit that the very essence of who I'm portraying myself to be is flawed. And therefore, I only do it when I get caught in something or when there's so much pressure and I don't really want to, but it will please everyone else. It's just this vicious, tangled mess of slavery. Whereas in the gospel, when you're willing to admit, I am desolate, I am broken, I am nothing, I can admit it. Repentance happens quicker. It happens more natural. It happens saying, ah, this is how I experience more grace. Not, not that I'm going to go sin more, but when I sin, because I always am, is I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the cross. I'm, I'm not building my identity in who I'm trying to be. It's prison. The second kind of big idea there is that's in this passage is choosing. What are you going to choose? 
Paul is, Paul is at this point, he's, he's, he's made the argument in this book. There's the way of law, there's the way of Jesus plus, there's the way of I gotta earn it, and there's the way of humbling yourself, trusting Christ, and receiving grace. Which will you choose? Paul is decisively, I think, driving toward this point. I think that's the whole point of verse 30. But what does the scripture say? You who want to embrace the law, did you listen to it? Did you hear it? Did you hear what it said? What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. No inheritance. Choose, Paul is saying. Will you continue to live in this slavery, in this bondage? Or will you embrace who you can be in Christ? By faith, by trusting him. What will you choose? And then last is power. Where, did you, where would you get the power to make a choice like that? Where would you get the power to, to, to turn away from your own pride and your own attempts and your own self-effort? Where would you get that power? It's interesting in, in verse 9, he says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. You know where this power comes from? It comes from God. And it comes from God softening and opening your heart to the point where you see all that is available to you in Christ. I can be free to admit who I am and to still be loved by Christ. I can stop hiding I can stop people pleasing. I can stop the the hall of mirrors. I can trust Christ. When when that becomes beautiful to you, then you choose to walk in freedom. That's why it's been my prayer through this whole thing. I I resonate with with Paul of going, I want to see Christ formed in us. Redemption gateway. I want to see us live as people of freedom and joy and courage and power. And the only hope for that is that we would see the wonder of Jesus and his grace. That's why we would spend week after week after week after week just banging the drum. We we don't have much else to say. Choose this day, Scripture says, whom you will serve. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you um, for um, your presence here and your kindness to me and to us. And God, I pray um, there's so many different things we could learn from this text. And so I pray that, that for each person that there would be one thing that particularly sticks for them, that by your Spirit you would allow them to see and apply Father, I pray that we could choose to walk in freedom. Not freedom for ourselves, not freedom for selfishness, but freedom to love, freedom to know you. We pray for that in Jesus' name.